And uh, our three kids, Micah, Mia, and Michaela, all say hi. And um, for those of you that, that knew us when we were here, Hope Chapel was so encouraging when we were part of you. And then to be sent out by you to go with the church on Seven Hills, we're just grateful. And it's a tremendous blessing for me personally uh, to be with you this morning, and, and I'm thankful. We're going to look this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 at, at true spirituality. And, and the passage this morning presents a, a life of contrast. As we read through it, it's, it's easy to hear, stop doing that and start doing this, right? Stop that, start this. There's a, there's a pastoral instruction going on in how to live as followers of Jesus, And the life that is presented is not just a way to live, it's actually unpacking the new life, the true spirituality that we have in Jesus. So ultimately, as we go through it this morning, I don't want you to hear a list of rules or instructions, but rather see a picture of what true spirituality looks like in the real world. Um, I, uh, I, I read several magazines. Right, every month. And I'm most excited when Outside Magazine arrives. I, I can't explain it because uh, I don't ultra marathon or hike the Appalachian Trail or, you know, drop from helicopters and snowboard down on untouched mountains. But I'm fascinated with the people that do and what their lives are about. Um, and seeing that people can swim oceans and climb mountains and slackline across canyons, I don't know, it just gives me this feeling of just euphoria as I hear what they do and what they're doing with their lives. But in this magazine, there's this huge spiritual emphasis as people try to, try to use their time in nature to connect with their emotion and spirit and soul, Right? And some of them would even perceive God in nature. And and they're going through these exercises and they're living life this way in an attempt to capture spirituality. Um, There is a common thought, I think, in our lives today that that spirituality is something that's, that's a little bit nebulous. It's a little bit undefined. It's a little bit mystical. And there is some truth in that. And how that gets worked out in people's lives just always, it always fascinates me. Also, uh, I waste a lot of time on Instagram. And uh, I shouldn't have said that. Is this going to go on recording? Somebody from BCNE is going to hear that, and I'm going to be in trouble. Um, but one of the people I follow is called Van Life Diaries. And it's a picture of people who have converted their usually Volkswagen 1960s, 70s, 80s, minivans into these sleek, livable spaces, and they drive around the world into these secluded and beautiful scenic places and take pictures of themselves uh, with their vans there. And so I look at this and think, my Honda Odyssey, someday we're going to do this, right? That right now is full of kids, someday it's, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, but even in that, this Van Life Diaries, it's a, it's a spiritual pursuit, that people are on. They write about the solitude and the simplicity and, and their desire for connection. It's, it's, it's a spiritual endeavor, an, an attempt to connect and create what is spiritual, but it's still incomplete. We'll see this morning the Bible 
gives us direction and, and instruction on how to live a true spirituality. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see what is spiritual. And we're going to see how to practically live a spiritual life. So as we get started this morning, I, I want to say we're going to see this picture. We're going to see what true spirituality looks like. But it's also more than that. This is an expectation of God for all his people. And that would include us who are followers of Christ. This is an expectation from him on how we should live in a, in a true spirituality that connects with God and with people. It's really lived out. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. I'm, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful for his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. First thing we see in this true spirituality is that we should speak the truth, not lies. That's verse 20, 25. You know, lying may be the easiest thing in the entire world to do. Right? Embellish a little, look a little better, hide the less than glamorous truth. But the new life, this true spiritual life requires truth telling. Lying is a sign of the old life. And if we think about it, our lives as followers of Christ are based on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ himself claims to be the truth. And so the foundation of our spirituality is the truth, Jesus Christ. Falsehood would cause that whole foundation to crack and shake. If we lie... We have no credibility to share Jesus' truth and love with others. We've undermined it. This verse is unique in its emphasis. It's to speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Nothing breaks fellowship faster than lies. The emphasis of members of one another is that we as Christians, we're one body. And lying does, destroys that body, it tears it apart. To encourage and build each other up, we must speak the truth. Unity requires honesty. Unity requires authenticity and openness. Lies tears all that apart. Two years ago, I had back surgery, and before the surgery, I was laid up. Right? If you've ever had back surgery or a bulging disc, you know the, the pain that can come from that. I was laid up. I could barely walk. Uh, it was totally uncomfortable. So 
I just said to the doctor, fix it, right? Just fix it. I don't care what you have to do to me. Just fix it. And uh, the, the surgeon was concerned, not that the surgery be successful, but how successful it would be because of the damage done to a nerve down my left, left leg. And um, they said, okay, we'll do the surgery, but you need to know you may not be able to run, you may not be able to jump after this. And thankfully, all of that's recovered as the nerve has recovered. But still, one thing that remains, and it's, they've told me now it's going to remain, is that I get a false report coming from my left foot. And it tends to happen when I'm tired or sleepy. So what it practically looks like is that in the middle of the night, I hear a noise and I try to jump out of bed, go downstairs and see what's going on. And uh, I, I, my left foot feels like it's walking on a golf ball, right? Like it just feels like there's golf balls right underneath it. And there's nothing more terrifying than trying to run downstairs with golf balls under your feet, right? And so what happens is I, I get to the top of the stairs and I think whatever's down there making that noise is probably not worse than me going down there, right? Like let them come up here, then we'll deal with it, right? But this, this lie that my foot's getting me, it's firmly planted. It's working fine. I can stand on it. I can jump on it. I can run on it. It's just lying to me, little left foot liar. It, it makes me stop, right? That lie affects my attitude. It affects my action. It affects my emotions. It affects my mission. Same thing happens in the church, if we lie, we get off point. That's what lying does. It'll, it'll stop us in our tracks and tear us apart and raise everything into question. So that's great. You say, that's great. Okay, we'll tell the truth in the church. What about those outside the church? What if, what if I'm at work or in class or, or out living life? Can I lie outside the church and think... I don't want to get into a moral playground of when it's okay to lie and when it's not okay to lie. That's not what I'm trying to create. What I am trying to say is that our new life, true spirituality, is built on a character of truth. Right? And so we need to live with truth in our character. Just as we could say before Christ, our old life was built on self ways and not truth. We're built on truth. So let's speak the truth. Right? First and foremost. Second, we need to be responsible with anger. This is part of true spirituality, is to be responsible with anger. And this is verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anger can be a door to greater sin. If we're not responsible with anger, it'll open the door to further temptation. It'll breed contempt and malice and result in division. Now, there is a righteous way to handle anger. There is a righteous anger. Just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day, right? who handled anger in a righteous way with life-giving outcomes. There is a righteous way to handle anger, but most often with anger, we need to remember these verses to not sin. A sure sign that anger is on the road to sin is that it's destructive and the outcomes are life-taking. Right. Let me give an example, and you need to know from the outset of this story that everybody in my family knows I'm sharing this story. The kids are all okay with it. They signed off on it. 
they gave me pointers on how to improve how I looked at Sierra the right? Um, my kids, I'm, I'm their dad, so I'm their biggest hero. Her, their mom and I compete for who's their biggest hero, but I, th- they're awesome. They're extremely talented kids. Right? They, can, they can throw strikes on demand, almost. They can hit three-pointers and layups. They can stick landings off balance beams. Extremely talented kids. But don't ask them to put trash in the trash can. Right? There's some force field at our house around the trash can. Monday night is trash nights at our house, and so I ask them, okay, take all the trash, take it downstairs, put it in the garage can, because that's the can we take and put out on the street. A couple weeks ago, I get down there, into the garage, I'm just going in to take care of something, and I look, and there's the trash can, perfectly ready, and there's just trash all around it. You know, obviously somebody got in a hurry, things got, things got in a rush, there were things they'd rather be doing, and so there's little pieces everywhere. And so I'm just, I just start picking them up, I'm putting them in, and the longer I do this, I mean, what started as this turns into, why can't this get in here the first time, every time? What is wrong with my kids, Right? And so I get all worked up after about five minutes of this, and I storm into the basement, pull the door behind me. My wife's down there, and she looks at me and says, what are you doing? I'm going to kill the kids. (laughs) She she grabbed me and pulled me down and looked into my eyes, right, deep past the fire that was blazing right there, and said, okay, okay. All right, go for it, right? (laughs) And in that moment of humor, spared the kids, you know. But how wrong? I mean, really? I was that mad. I was ready to go up and unpack everything that they've done wrong ever, you know, over some trash. That's what anger not handled well is just going to destroy It's just going to tear up. And honestly, it's a lot easier just to go and and blow up rather than try to think through it and figure out what's really going on, right? The kids helped me see the pride in my own heart and and my anger in that. But in our relationships, when we are that angry, when Anger that leads to sin, it always divides. Now, we have to deal with anger quickly, but we can't do it rashly. We have to handle it righteously and responsibly. The command here isn't don't get angry. It's do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on it. So deal with it quickly may not be able to reconcile before the sun goes down, but reach peace. Seek to forgive in a personal conflict quickly. And remember, Jesus has already paid on the cross all the cost. We have to remember that we were enemies of God. Ultimately, I was angry with God. God had every right to be angry with me. But he sent his son to die on that cross to forgive me, to reconcile that relationship. 
that truth needs to unpack in all of our lives as, as we deal with conflict. Right? Anger is such a tricky emotion. If you're a sports fan, a bad call is an injustice, but how quickly that injustice can turn into a personal conflict with the referee who made it, right? Don't give anger a foothold. Be in control of your anger and not vice versa. Third, we should be generous. Verse 28 talks about the thief needs to stop stealing but needs to work hard so that they might have something to share with those in needs. Previously, we lived for selfish gain. We would work or steal and hoard to obtain stuff. But in this new life, a true spiritual life works hard and honest work that we may have something to share with anyone in need. A true spiritual life is a generous life. My granddad was one of the most generous people I knew. And uh, this was his hoe, for those of you that like these kinds of things. Um, My great-granddad made this for him when he was about six years old. They were sharecroppers. They didn't own anything. Uh, they lived in a two, ten of them lived in a two-room shed on the home, on the landowner's property. And uh, my great-granddad made this so that my granddad, at six years old, would start working to earn his part to pay, pay for the rent of that house. He grew up uh, poor and destitute with very little. Yet he was one of the most generous men I ever met. And uh, when I was 13, I was complaining about some schoolwork, and that was my first encounter with that hoe, right? (laughs) He walked out to the shed and brought it back, and at first I was fearful. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, what's going to happen with this? But he explained to me how hard work is so that we may be generous, right? To have to give. Proverbs 11.24 states it this way. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. How counterintuitive. The one who, who works to give freely gains even more. But the one who withholds comes to poverty. How rich are lives when we're generous. So we should be generous. That's part of our spirituality. Ephesians 4.29, number four. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, a good friend of mine said it this way, build up or shut up. Right? Your words can be life-giving or life-taking. If you're not going to encourage with them, shut up. A very, I need very real object lessons in my life, as you can see. Words are powerful. We need to be people who build up in every situation. Right? To speak life-giving words that cheer up, lift up, bring up. And the reality is, this can only be accomplished in the truth, as we speak truth. Because the truth builds up, but flattery puffs up just doesn't last. Thoughtful, timely, hope-giving words build up. 
Amy and I have been married almost 20 years, and I have learned so much from her. She's extremely disciplined, taught me how to be disciplined. She's an extremely great parent. I've learned so much in how to love my kids from her. We enjoy each other. We've known each other since uh, she was 14 and I was 15. You know, we've known each other a really long time. But there is nothing that will create more difficulty in our relationship than our words. Right? There's nothing. If one of us fails to offer encouragement at the appropriate time, it discourages us. If one of us speaks discouraging words or corrupting words, it'll cause the biggest rift. True spirituality speaks life-giving words. So let's be people who build up. We are more like Christ as we build others up. And fifth and finally, verses 30 to 32, walk with the Spirit, forgive people, and put away animosity. Any and every sin separates us from God. Not living the life that's shown here grieves the Holy Spirit. Without Christ, we're stuck. We're going to grasp for new ways to find joy and peace and satisfaction and hope. But when we confess our sin, when we confess to God that we need Him, and we admit our wrong against him, and when we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, by that faith, Christ forgives us, God forgives us, and in Christ has reconciled us to himself. That quickly. So before I unpack what it means to walk with the Spirit for the Christian, I just want to urge you, if you have not, to trust Christ. First and foremost, Life begins there with him. For those of you that do follow Christ, when we sin in any way, when we return to the old life, we grieve the Holy Spirit and experience distance from God. So we need to determine today to walk in new life, to forgive those who have hurt us, to put away animosity. Now this isn't Shallow forgiveness. This is trusting that what Christ has accomplished on the cross will give us the power to forgive those who have hurt us and to live free. To live free. But bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, those things will enslave us. And we won't live free. It has no place in true spirituality. Cannot hold bitterness and claim to be forgiven. Jesus tells a parable about this, about a man who had a great debt. That debt was forgiven, but then that same man went after a guy that owed him a couple dollars, right? And wanted that guy thrown in jail until he could repay it. It's almost as if the forgiveness was just lost on him, right? If we're forgiven, we must let go of bitterness because Jesus paid for it on the cross so we can forgive. Remember Jesus on the cross who said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Our lives should be characterized by that kindness, 
that tenderness, that masculine tenderness to forgive an unjust wrong, just as in Christ God forgave us. Let's pray. Father, we need your help to live this life that you've called us to. So help us to walk in step with your spirit and to forgive as we are forgiving, God. Lord, I pray that this week you would fill our mouths with words of encouragement that give life to those around us. And help us to consider wisely the power of our words as we speak this week, God. Lord, thank you. As, we, as, just, as I think through this list of five things, I see how often I fall short, yet you have given Christ who has forgiven me all of it. And so I thank you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.